0: Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord.
1: The scripture reading today is from Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 3, 5 through 6 and 8. Hear the word of the Lord. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground so they read from the book from the law of god with interpretation they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading the word of the lord thanks be to god
0: robert thank you for reading scripture for us this morning i'd like to invite those of you who are here and those of you who are joining us online if you would then reach for a copy of the Bible and turn to that reading that Robert just uh, rendered for us. It's on page 379 and it's the section from from Nehemiah chapter eight. Today we come to our final section in our lessons from the book of Nehemiah uh, series. And uh, of course, we didn't go through the entire book. We didn't do all 13 chapters, but we're trusting that in the providence of God, we will come back to the remainder of this book. Um, it's, It's a very helpful, helpful book to be reading at this time. Please join me in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, it is our desire that from These pages, this ancient story that we have read this morning will come to us this consuming desire to know you as our only God and Savior, even Jesus Christ, and that we, having read and pondered these words, will inspire us to give ourselves in wholehearted devotion to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I think back to September 10th. That was the Sunday that we had what's called our our fall kickoff. And it was on that Sunday that we first opened up the book of Nehemiah as a congregation and started reading it and pondering it. And one of the goals that we had established in reading this book is that we wanted to observe these two big goals that Nehemiah had that he wanted to see accomplished. One of the goals he had, of course, was to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And we didn't read chapter six, chapter six and verse 16, but in that section, it says that he built it. He, along with the people and with the help of God, they completed the rebuilding of the wall. But the second big goal that he was working on was he wanted to see God's people renewed, renewed in their covenant obligations to Almighty God, their devotion to God. And so there you have it the two big objectives that Nehemiah had in, in, the, in his, his memoir, so to speak. He wanted to rebuild and he wanted to renew. And the question is did he succeed? Did he succeed? And I would say yes, I hope you would say yes, based on the record of what we have here, that Nehemiah accomplished those goals. The question then is, how did he do it? And in keeping with our theme this morning, I think the better question should be, how did God use him to accomplish those goals? And so let's just do a quick overview of where we've been. Because when we first opened the book of Nehemiah, we met this man who was a cupbearer to the king. And one of the important themes I walked away with was that God uses all of us. God uses cupbearers. God uses people to accomplish his methods and his purposes. But the beautiful thing about Nehemiah was that he had compassion. Nehemiah was a very compassionate man. And the reason why we know that is because God used an ordinary question to change the direction of Nehemiah's life. Do you remember the question? His brother and others had come back from Jerusalem, and he went up to them and asked them, So, how are things going back home? How are things going in Jerusalem? And Hanini or Hanani gave a very, very dismal report. And we're told that that report changed the trajectory of his life. Let me digress just a quick minute, because last night, several of us from this church were at a gala sponsored by one of our mission partners, Little Lights, and I met the executive director for the first time, and his name is Steve. And Steve's story is that just graduated from college, he's a young Korean man, American born, and he met a young boy who was in middle school who couldn't read. The little boy wanted to read one of Dr. Seuss's book, middle school boy, and he couldn't read it. It changed Steve's life. It moved his life in a completely different direction, and he wanted to help boys and girls, like this young boy that he met, to help them get through those years with a better sense of an education and being better prepared to move forward in the future. This is a man of faith, and I believe, and he would say it, that God called him. For the last 29 years of his life, he and his wife have committed themselves to helping and to reach vulnerable children, those early, early precious years. He was a man of compassion. And it's the same with Nehemiah, a question. And his life makes a left turn. And so when he heard about the trouble that was going on in his nation, He decided that he had to do something. He wanted to do something. And I believe God placed that sense of faith, that sense of obligation within Nehemiah's heart, that Nehemiah started to pray. We could say that God gave Nehemiah the desire to pray. That's where prayer comes from, I believe. God gives us the desire to pray. And God gave Nehemiah a vision that was so big that Nehemiah knew he couldn't do it by himself. He got help from the king. He was clearly led by Almighty God. Several times he says, Lord, it's because your mighty hand is on my life. The job was so big, he knew he couldn't do it by himself. And Nehemiah believed that God was greater than even this Persian king. And God gave Nehemiah wisdom. And you read through the book And there are so many examples where Nehemiah operated out of a profound divine witness. He took action, he planned, he purposed, he persevered, and with God's hand on his life and a committed unified nation, he and the people forged ahead despite stiff opposition. And we read parts of chapter 4, we didn't read chapter 6, but in those two chapters we could say that God allowed Nehemiah to be exposed to opposition that came from outside his community. Last Sunday we looked at chapter 5 and we could say that God worked through the, the discord and the confusion and the breakdown of compassion within the Jewish community, God used all of that for his glory. And then if you look in chapter seven, a chapter we didn't read, we see Nehemiah's great gift, a gift that God gave to Nehemiah, the gift of organizational management. It's a wonderful chapter to read, and it has a long list of unpronounceable names, at least to us. But here in chapters eight through 10, we see the fulfillment of his second big objective, and that is to bring people back into covenant faithfulness with God. When I read about Nehemiah this way, it reminds me of Moses, because Moses had two big objectives. One was, as he encountered God at the burning bush, God said to him, I want you to go to Egypt, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go number one, number two, so that they can go into the desert and worship me. Two big goals. And Moses accomplished them. Now bear with me. I started imagining that if reporters from the Jerusalem Post or reporters from the Persian Times came to Nehemiah and he's all over the news and they want to interview him at this stage of his leadership, and they, they were to ask him, so tell me, what did you do? Or what would you attribute to your success? And given what I think I know about Nehemiah, I think Nehemiah would correct them. And he would say, that's not the question. It's not what I did. But what I would prefer responding to is, it's what God did. Because Nehemiah would attribute his success not to himself, but to God. He would take that moment to extol the greatness and the grandeur of God. And I could just see the reporters, as most reporters do today, when you kind of go religious on them, they get a little uncomfortable, and they would push back and say, well, are you saying then that God, it was God who picked you up and took you from, from Susa, the capital, and bring you all the way to the hundreds and hundreds of miles to Jerusalem? Is it God that built this wall? And Nehemiah, unfazed, would say, that's exactly what I'm saying. If it had not been for the Lord on our side, it's not happening. We would not be here. So I have a bias, I really do. I have a bias for people like Nehemiah. I have a bias for people who are quick to recognize that it is because of the Lord why they are where they are. And these people don't need validation these people don't need anyone or anywhere to prop them up with praises and and that kind of thing they're 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 so settled and satisfied in god they know they have gifts they know they have abilities but they're the ones who will be the first to say listen let me just tell you what's going on here all that i have all that i am all that i could ever hope to be it comes from the hand of Almighty God, to God be the glory. And I think this is what we're seeing in chapters eight through 10. It's Nehemiah and Ezra bringing the people back to God and helping them to get their coordinates. It is because of God, to God be the glory. I wasn't here at National Presbyterian Church for the ribbon cutting ceremony after the completion of the, re- the re- renovations to, to this wonderful campus. I wasn't here at that time. I've seen the pictures, haven't heard an audio, haven't seen a video of the event, I just saw pictures. But I would imagine, on that day, when Pastor Renick and the elders and the deacons and the congregations were gathered out on the front lawn, that on that day, no one in the audience was doing this. Aren't we great? Look what we did. Of course, we expressed thanks to those who participated But the greater thanks, the greater honor was reserved for our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, the Lord of this church, Jesus Christ. Am I right? Now, of course, we must also say that God used you. You prayed, you pledged, you supported the vision. And if you're like me, You want to see things wrapped in a bow, fully completed. And so if you're like me, we're looking ahead to 2024 as the year when God will bless us in such a way that we would have completely paid off what's left in this campaign. There are some important lessons here for us, brothers and sisters. Again, a fourth century, almost fifth century, bce experience that still has resonance for us living in the 21st century and i just want to spend the next few moments helping you to see what some of these lessons are for example as i read on the text again i noticed first of all that god's work is never finished the building of the wall the renovations they were a means to an end because they knew, Nehemiah knew, Ezra knew, there was a grander purpose. And we have built this wall, we were building the temple so that we can bring people back to God and to covenant faithfulness. And the same is true for us here at National. The renovations that we did are really done to serve a greater purpose for our church. We have a mission We have work to do, and our work doesn't end because we have finished with the renovations. Our work will not end until Jesus Christ returns. We have a bigger mission, and the mission says that we're here to lead people, to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ together in God's world. That's why we're here. We believe that God is calling us to be a community of believers, a place where Christianity is lived out. It's purposeful, it's thoughtful, it's persuasive. We believe that God is calling us to be a conduit for healing and reconciliation within the city in which God has placed us, that God has called us to love the city. We believe that God has put us here, this unsinkable ship, in this storm-tossed world where weary souls, hurting people, tired people, lives that have been wrecked by sin can come into this community and find healing. And so this is not the time for us to sit back and say how lovely we are, we've gotten it done. Our work is not done, That's what we see in Nehemiah. But here's a second little lesson I want you to take with you this morning, is that God's word is central. God's word word is central to the life of God's people. And I call these people the Watergate Church. I call them the Watergate Church. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1, if you still have your Bibles open. All the people gathered together into the square before the Watergate. And the people said to Ezra, Bring us the book. Bring us the book of the law of Moses, which is which the Lord had given to Israel. And think about it of all the things they could have asked for, we want more money, we need a bigger army to protect ourselves, we need this. We need there's so many things they could have asked for, but they asked for God's word. And the question is, why? And I believe they asked for God's word because they knew they had lost their way. They knew that the trouble that they were in really was because of their ancestors who had spurned God's word. They had turned to idols. They had turned away from God. And now they are returning to the foundational principles on which they stand. They wanted to come back to God's word and to come back to God It's to come back to what God has said, and to rediscover God's will. It's in the word of God. If you have your Bible still with you, would you open up to verse nine? Just look at Nehemiah chapter eight and verse nine. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, so here he is now being described as the governor, And then here is a new name, at least within the book of Nehemiah. Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were weeping. Now we just had the scriptures read I wasn't weeping. I don't think anyone here this morning was weeping. Why were these people weeping? And I believe that they were weeping because as they read from from Deuteronomy and as they read from the book of Exodus and Leviticus, their eyes were being opened. They realized just how many mistakes that they and their ancestors had made in the past. And God's word was like a mirror. They were looking into the mirror of God's word and they were seeing their lives. They were being exposed, and it provoked a desire within them to want to change. God's Word, so central to the life of a believing community. But there's one other thing I want you to notice, another gift from God. The work isn't done. The Word of God is central. But then God provides what we see in the reading, a plurality of leadership, Now this is the second time in the book where Nehemiah takes a back seat. Other leaders now are front and center. For example, you remember when we read in chapter three about all the families and the leaders who came together to rebuild the wall, do you remember that? And we read the whole, well we didn't read the whole chapter but if you read all the verses in that chapter you don't find Nehemiah's name anywhere in the chapter. Nehemiah is missing. Here in chapter 8, Nehemiah is only mentioned once. But other leaders with different gifts step forward to help lead from the front and to lead this church that had gathered at the Watergate. And yes, we celebrate Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this wonderful builder. He's a strategist. He's fearless. He's prayerful. He's a leader. But Nehemiah doesn't have all the gifts. He cannot do it all. And at this stage of the journey now, where they're bringing the people to God, we need the priests, we need the scribes, we need the lay leaders and the lay worshipers to step up to the plate. And that's what's going on. And so God provided Ezra, the priest and the scribe, who was dedicated. And I love that phrase about him. He was dedicated to knowing and understanding and teaching Torah to the people. And if you'll notice in verse 4, take a look at verse 4. It says that he stood on a wooden platform and there were 13 other leaders standing there with him. We didn't read all those names. And David, you're going to love me for not imposing those 13 difficult names on you. But there were 13 leaders standing there with Nehemiah. There were six leaders on his right, with Ezra rather. There were six on his right and there were seven on his left. And they were standing there, I believe, taking turns, because something that you might miss is that they started reading from the Torah early that morning until the middle of the day for six hours. I didn't tell you that, did Did I? That This sermon actually is going to go till maybe about four this afternoon. You're laughing. You think I'm joking. Well, they were all there listening to the reading of Scripture, and these leaders were there to help. God works through people. You'll notice in verse seven, so so Nehemiah is standing on this platform with the 13 leaders, and out there is the rest of the congregation. They're standing there listening as the scriptures are being read and expounded and explained. But among those folks, we read again another list in verse seven, 13 other what I call small group leaders. Are huddling with the people out there, helping the people to understand the law as the people remained in their places. I love that. Nehemiah is nowhere involved in this, but there were other leaders who stepped up. God works through people, and we are a mission-driven church. That's how I look about I think about our church. We're a miss, mission-driven church, and we exist. For the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the city of Washington, D.C., we exist so that we can live fully into the mission that God has given to us to fulfill the dreams that God is planting in our hearts. Don't you love that video that we watched of the members of our staff and others from our church saying, This is my dream for 2024. I love it. God is calling them with these specific dreams. God is calling you. And I want you to self-identify as one who has been called by God. So yes, I thank God for our pastors. I thank God for our staff. We have an amazing group of people working on our staff and I thank God for every one of them and the gifts that they bring. I thank God for our, our, our elders and our deacons, and the amazing work that these leaders do on behalf of our congregation, but I also want you to hear that God is calling you. National Presbyterian Church, from the day I walked into this place, and I'm meeting more and more of you. This is a leadership-rich community. And the challenge, I think, before us going forward, is how, how do we bring all these gifts together and use them for the glory of God, and for the building up of this church. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face going into the coming years. But here's the last thing I want you to see. God provides the gift of time, or you could say the gift of seasons. And I want to show you three timestamps that I noticed as I read and reread this passage and prayed over it. I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles open, we didn't read this, but you could go back to, to Nehemiah 6 and verse 15. It's also on the screen. So the wall was finished, and there's the timestamp. It was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Now, if you're familiar with the Jewish calendar, Elul falls somewhere in late summer somewhere between August and September so somewhere between those two months maybe toward the end of September in 52 days the wall was finished look at the second timestamp. it's at the beginning right before chapter 8 verse 1 we read this word these words when the seventh month came now that's uh if you're Jewish and you're an observant Jew When you see that phrase, the seventh month, you know what that means. Because in the Jewish calendar, the seventh month falls somewhere in the month of October. It's called Tishrei. It marks the beginning of a new year. And I remember when we lived in in the Chicago area, I had Jewish neighbors on either side of me, and I'd look out, and there's Bob, and I would say, happy Rosh Hashanah, Bob. And Bob would always feel so pleased that here is this guy, a Jamaican guy, who is observing a very important thing on his Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah. A time of feasting. It's a new year. A time of celebration and joy. A time of thanksgiving for all of God's blessings. And then one last timestamp. And if you, again, if you would look at chapter 8, verse 14, I don't have this one on the screen, but look at chapter 8, verse 14 in your Bible. Or oh, I do have it on the screen. They found it written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should live in booths during the festival. And there's that timestamp again of the seventh month, very important month in the Jewish calendar. And so for eight days, the people would have observed what's called Sukkot. They were remembering their ancestors as they wandered the wilderness for 40 years in the desert. After their freedom from captivity, they lived in these temporary dwellings. And so for the Jews in Nehemiah's time, it was an opportunity for them to remember how God had provided for their ancestors. It's also called the Festival of Booths, as you see on the screen. It's a time of Thanksgiving. It's an annual festival. And the Jewish people, and they do it to this day, you drive by a... Jewish families home and you see something on the front lawn that looks like a little hut. They built these little huts out of little twigs and leaves and branches and what they're saying is the same God who led our ancestors through the wilderness is with us today. To God be the glory. Time, time is a gift isn't it? Here I am as a father was with my adult daughter just got married in June I hadn't seen her for a while and we spent a couple days with her time I look at her and I say oh my goodness how time has gone by but it's a gift from God when you think about the God who is before time you think about the God who is not subject to time the God who chooses to work in time to accomplish God's plans. Time. How are you using your time that God has given you? This is one of the reasons why we at National Presbyterian Church, we must be purpose-driven, friends. We must not be afraid to say, this was great, What, what we did over here 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this is great, but maybe God is calling us to do something new today in this season, in this time. We must be purpose-driven. We must be focused, we must be strategic because we don't have all time. We can't waste time, wasting it on things that doesn't really matter in the end. So what time are we in? What season are you in? God has given us these moments. And we thank God for the gift of time, because it is within the corridors of time that we will accomplish great things to the glory of God. So I've had one last word to give you before I take my seat. I want you to take this word home with you. I want you to take the word gratitude home. Or you could use the word thanksgiving, because that's what I think is happening in chapters 8 and 9. The people are grateful to God, this great and awesome God who has done so much. Ezra said, bless the Lord, this great and awesome God, and the people said, amen, amen. They knew they had come this far, and it was because of their faith in God. It wasn't them, it was God who did it through them. They were blessing God, and this morning, in a moment we're going to invite some of our brothers and sisters here and their families to come and join us up front as we welcome them into this community and i am grateful to god for leading us all together as the family of god and i want to encourage you this morning as you see these folks standing here to covenant that you're going to pray for them covenant that you will make it your goal to get to know them but you want them to know that, you, that you're glad that they're here. I hope you will do that. God is the giver of all good gifts, and we are a blessed congregation. I don't know if you saw in the bulletin, our closing hymn is a hymn that you and I know so well, To God Be the Glory. And Mike, I'm so glad you selected that hymn, and thank you for doing that, because I think that hymn really illustrates what the people of Israel were doing that day. They were giving glory to God. And so when we sing that hymn, I want you to sing that hymn with your outside voice. No, really. God is worthy. When you sing that hymn, if you want to raise your hand, go ahead and raise your hand. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were so overwhelmed with gratitude to God that they were raising their hand as an act of surrender and worship and thanking God for the word and thanking God for the season and thanking God for all the gifts that God had given to them. When you sing that hymn, I want you to let it resonate with your heart as you go home and think of all the ways that God has been good to you. No complaining, but thanksgiving. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. To your name be the praise for all that you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprez.org. That's nationalprez.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.